Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 3 how cherubims are God's crack team and guardians of His special interests that protect what is very close to the heart of God. Now, Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher here on the Friendship with God radio program, is not only a teacher and pastor, he is also a scientist and CEO of Scanabody's Laboratory. Tom Cantor is also the owner and operator of the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, which is the first and original creation museum. And as a resource of the month, Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher and scientist, is offering a DVD tour of the Creation Museum that features Tom Cantor and leading creation scientists and Bible teachers that cover the Genesis 6 days of creation. We will also include with this month's resource a great book on the Ice Age and the Flood that asks the question, does science really show millions of years? Now, it's a great book that will show you how the Bible and science both explain the Ice Age. Now, if you'd like a copy of the Six Days of Creation teaching and the Ice Age and the Flood book, it's yours for a donation of $20 or more, which helps support the Friendship with God radio program. So call us today at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. You can call us now or after the program again at 800-247-3051. For more information or resources, you can go online to friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org, or again, 800-247-3051. Now, here's Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher, with our Bible study today from Genesis chapter 3, how cherubims are God's crack team and guardians of His special interests that protect what is very close to the heart of God. To believe on the name of Christ is to believe that this is the one that God has sent to save us from our sins. You put it all together, you say, Jesus, God saves, he's the one that he sends, means I don't do any works. Means I take off those coats, those aprons, the fig leaves, self-made, and I say no to that, and I say, okay, God, save me through the Lord Jesus Christ. See, all of that is implied in believing on the three essential parts of his name. And the reason people seek to believe on him, because the shame that comes, because of the fear that comes. It's not a case of a casual pursuit, like a person told me this week. I'm interested, a Jewish man said to me, I'm interested in Jesus. I said, oh, why are you interested in Jesus? And he said, curiosity. Well, it's got to go a little farther than that, than curiosity, but okay, it's a good start. Anyway, the serpent, the devil had led man into the sin, into the sinfulness, and he had that goal. He had that goal. Why? John 10, 10, the thief And think about him in the garden. The thief cometh not into the garden now, but for to steal from God, to kill and to destroy. That's what he wanted to do. Kill and destroy. Not just one time, but eternally. In eternal destruction. See, And he wanted to make man just like himself. He wanted to make man so he would be cast into hell with himself. And hell was never made for man. That's what he, the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew 25, 41, when he said to this group, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was prepared for the devil and the angels, not for man. So there's two characteristics that the devil needed. And his fallen angels, so man could be like the devil and the fallen angels, okay? And so here, the first one is that he was already successful at, needed man to sin, man to become sinful. And man became sinful. He was a sinner. Second, he needed to quickly bring him to be forever sealed in that sin. Forever sealed. 
because the devil really doesn't really die, so to speak. He's forever sealed in his sin. He's in this internal state of sinfulness. And in order for the devil to get man into that, of this eternal state of sinfulness, he needed man in his sinfulness to go eat the tree of life. Seal his feet in the concrete. So what God said is that we have to stop man from eating of the tree of life. It wasn't because God was jealous. It was because God was merciful to man. He had good plans for man. And the tree of life at this point was not part of it. And if they had eaten part of the, if they eaten the tree of life, then their ruin would have been unrepairable. It couldn't fix it. Couldn't fix it. Their disease would have been incurable. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, he wanted to cure them from their sin. The only way he could do it, it had to be through death. So none of, none of us want to die. We're talking to Ronnie. None of us want to die. But that's God's way to free us from this body of death. So now, in verse 23, 24, we see that God sent man out of the garden, and then it appears that man didn't exactly want to leave. And so, in verse 24, it says that God then drove him out of the garden. And so, you're getting out of here. But this was very important for man not to eat of the tree of life. So what did God do? He puts two special angels, cherubim, with swords turning every direction to keep man out of the garden. Now, I don't know if you have a King James Bible. Your King James Bible says cherubims. That's not right. The singular form of cherubim is cherub. The plural is cherubims and um, cherubim. Okay, so cherubims is wrong. But, you know, that's okay if you want to say geeses or hippopotamies or octopies. That's okay. But uh, anyway, just so you know, it's cherubim. It's seraphim. But um, I love the King James Version. I love it because it's majestic, because it's easy to remember, because there are words there, because it's been used for such a long time. Because when people start saying the these and the thous, they're either quoting Shakespeare or the Bible, and most of the time it's the Bible, so it's very easy. To, but anyway, cherubim is, um, well, anyway, if you want to say cherubim, that's fine. All right, so this is the first time that we see these special angels in Scripture, these cherubim, first time. And what do we see them doing? You know, we have in our company, we have certain people that when something is very, very important and we just can't afford a slip up, we can't afford a learning experience, then we assign it to them. That's our, we have a crack team, we call them a crack team, the different ones. Anyway, so we saw in verse 22 that it was very important to God that man be prevented from eating the tree of life, driven out of the garden. And we saw these words that emphasize the urgency of it all. And they show us here that this was very important to God. It was a special interest of God. So what does God do? He calls his crack team of angels. See, that's what cherubim are. They're the crack team, God's crack team. And this is the first time, a number of times we see them in the Bible. But every time we see them in Scripture, they're right in the middle of what is very important to God. And there's these cherubim, see? And they're guarding God's special interest. Keep that in mind. Say, cherubim, guard God's special interest. Now, there's another interesting place where we see cherubim. And turn to that in Exodus chapter 25, verse 17. And you probably know that the cherubim were there on the mercy seat, right? So, Exodus 25, 17 through 20. And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. And thou shalt make two cherubim 
of gold, of beaten work, shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat, and make one cherub on the one end, the other cherub on the other end, even of the mercy seat you shall make the cherubims and the two ends thereof, and the cherubim shall stretch forth their wings, get that picture, on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and their faces shall look one toward another, toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. So here on top of the ark, within the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle, is this place called the mercy seat. That's a, a kind of an interpretive name. When you look in the Hebrew, there's no words of mercy, there's no words of seat there. It just means covering. But mercy seat's not bad. But anyway, it's an interpretation because it means this is the place where mercy is. And it is. And on the two ends of the top of this ark are these two cherubim, and it says their wings are stretching over and they're covering this place, this special place, and they're looking at each other. And now look at Leviticus 16, more about this mercy seat, more about the cherubim. Leviticus 16, verses 14 through 15. And he shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that's for the people. Bring his blood within the veil and do that the blood that he did with the blood of the bullock. Sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So the blood now is going on the mercy seat. It was sprinkled on the mercy seat once a year, day of atonement, Yom Kippur. And what was in the ark at the beginning? What was in the ark in the beginning when he first made it? It's two tables of stone that he got from Mount Horeb there. says that. In 1 Kings 8 through 9, there was, says, There was nothing in the ark save the two tables of stone which Moses put there at Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel. Now, picture the scene of the Holy of Holies. Here's the ark. Inside the ark are the Ten Commandments. It's the law of God. That's like the truth. That's God's truth. It's the law of his righteousness. The law condemns us. For us, the law is a bad thing. But over the law is this mercy seat. And on the mercy seat, or the covering, on the mercy seat is the blood of the covenant. So it's a perfect description of what we have got for us in Psalm 85.10 because it's the place you could say, mercy, the blood, and truth, the commandments, are met together. That's what it says in Psalm 85.10. That says, righteousness, the law, and peace kissed each other. At the mercy seat, see? Also at the cross. So there's the blood at the mercy seat and the sacrifice, which is God's mercy toward us. And under that is the law. And see, it's like covered. It's like the law wants to cry out, judge him, condemn him, execute him. But it's covered by this place where there's the blood. And it says, no. And see, so what happens is that as the two cherubims are there, you can almost hear them saying, because I see the blood, because it talks about their faces, toward the there's mercy. Because I see the blood, there's peace. It's a wonderful picture there. Righteousness is taken care of. And so why was all this possible? As we've seen, it was the blood. It was the blood. And all those sacrifices which were taking place in two chambers out, into outer chamber, I mean, two, anyways, a couple of veils, outer chamber, that was where the altar was, and millions of sacrifices were sacrificed on that altar, see? And see, and there's a picture of that in Proverbs 30, 16. It says, the fire saith not, it is enough. See, so there's the fire of the altar, and it's burning, and it keeps saying, it's not enough, it's not enough, it's not enough. More, more, 
I want more sacrifice. So the sacrifice goes on, the sacrifice crumples up, and the fire devours it. See? And that says it's not enough. That's what Proverbs 30, 16 says. Not enough, because it keeps thirsting. The fire keeps thirsting for more and more. The fire's never consumed. And then, 2,000 years ago, one sacrifice, and the fire comes over it, and what happens? The sacrifice leaps up and consumes the fire. I almost kill myself here, <laughs> like the sacrifice. Anyway, he leaps up and he consumes the fire, and the fire says it's enough. And now there's peace. And that's the place of the mercy seat that speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came as the one final sacrifice in Hebrews 10, 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down on the right hand of God. Now, what happens at the mercy seat? Now, look at Exodus chapter 25, verse 22. Exodus 25, 22, where it says there, And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat. From between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony, of all the things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. Okay? So what's happening on this mercy seat? This is the place, you could think of it, where John 15, 4 is taking place. Where he said, abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except ye abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. It's a place of spending time with God. It's a place of meeting God. For us, practically, it's the every morning place. It's the place where God invites us to a quiet place where we shut the door and, or shut out the world and all the distracting thoughts, and then we just say, here now, here I am, God. I'm here alone. Here you are, God. You're here with me. Here's my Bible. I open my Bible. Here's my heart. I open my heart. I'm ready to hear what you have to say to me, and I also want to speak to you as well. See? And I want that to set the pattern for the rest of the day. That's going to set the course for the rest of the day. That's what it means to abide in Christ. That takes place, the mercy seat. And that's where, when we get that with God, we get fed. Just like the picture of the manna. Manna was beautiful in Exodus 16. Manna, they looked at each other and said, what is that? That's why they call it manna. That's what it means. What's that? You know? But they didn't know what it was. But it sustained them for 40 years. It's all they ate for 40 years. It's amazing. Jewish um, commentary said it suited every man's palate. You know, on this side, someone might say, oh no, I, I, I don't like fish. You know, someone over here say, Cauliflower? No, no, I'm not very fond of cauliflower. See, everybody has different palates, right? But it says, this manna suited every man's palate, and they ate it, and it sustained them. What could that have been? Maybe something like yogurt or something like that. They have all the vitamins and so forth, but it was there. Anyways, it was God's provision for them, and they went about every morning and collected it. And then it says, if someone didn't have enough, then someone else would give it to them. So they, they fed each other for what they collected from God. And sometimes that's a good thing. We collect something from God in the morning, and we go to our brother or our sister, and we help them, we feed them. So, Isaiah 50, verse 4 says, And the Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I may, should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. Morning by morning he wakeneth my ear to hear as the learned. That's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He never missed his quiet time. 
He never did. People came in the morning seeking for him in the Gospels. He wasn't there. And the disciples said, we don't know where he is. Then they went and they found him alone someplace on some hill or something like that, alone with his father. See, Psalm 5, verse 3. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. Great verses. Now, why are the cherubim so important here at the mercy seat? Well, first we know the cherubim were over the mercy seat. They covered them with their wings, massive wings. And like at the Garden of Eden, when God sent and drove out the man out of the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, to keep him from eating from the tree of life, why did God want to keep man from eating the tree of life? Because if man had eaten, as we already said, from the tree of life, then he would have been really fixed. And so his sin would have been incurable, he would have been forever unredeemable, and he would have been unsavable. But the Lord Jesus Christ has a special interest in curing man's disease. And he has a special interest in redeeming man from his sin. And he has a special interest in saving man from his sin. And that special interest of the Lord Jesus Christ to cure, to redeem, and to save is reflected in the presence of the cherubim to keep man from eating of the tree of life. And so they were guarding his special interest there at the Garden of Eden. Now, just as they were guarding his special interest there, so you take this point home, cherubim guard God's special interests. You take that point home, cherubim are God's crack team of angels. You take that theme home, and whenever you see them, you realize they must be guarding God's special interests. God has a special interest here. And then you think of them at the mercy seat with their wings stretched out, and you ask, what does it teach me? What do I know? Well, the mercy seat was the place where God met man. The mercy seat symbolizes the place where we meet God every morning in our devotion times. It's the place where we gather up that spiritual manna that God provides, food for our soul from the Word of God. It's the place where we speak to God in prayer. And he speaks to us, friend to friend. Friendship with God. It's the place where friendship with God is strengthened. That's the mercy seat. It's a special interest to God. He has assigned, therefore, his crack team of cherubims because this is a special interest to God. What does it mean? In my morning time, my morning mercy seat time, my quiet time, we say, is that important to God? I mean, does it really matter if I miss my morning time with God? Does it really matter if I cut short that morning time with God? Does it matter if my mind's there, but I'm really thinking about something else? And if you ask me what I just read, I couldn't tell you. Does that matter? It does to God. It very much does to God. Your morning time with God, my morning time with God, that mercy seat, that's a special interest to God. A special interest to God, and that's why we see the crack team of the cherubim there guarding it. If you and I purpose to bring ourselves to that place, focus our minds, we'll find out how just special that interest is to God. And we'll see the crack cherubim team, how good they are guarding it. You know, soon we're going to have Ruthie Burton come. That's a good thing. And she's a single missionary, as many of you know, to Brazil. She's been there for over 30 years in Brazil. And Ruthie lives in a small city with dirt roads. When you kind of look at an aerial of the city that she lives in, it looks terrible. You know, cars go down this street and, and houses line the street and there's dust clouds constantly, you know, because it's all dirt roads. 
and it's a crossroads as far as where it's found in Brazil for truckers. So what does that mean? Lots of prostitutes. And that's the place where Ruthie has been called to there in Brazil. And she's a missionary there to kids, to street kids. Remember before she was ministering to the deaf? Well, there's not so many deaf there, so she's been working with kids that are aimless. These kids are neglected. And Ruthie, with her co-missionary, Claudia, have really gotten this flock together of these kids. And they've done such a great job. You know, they wrote books for the kids on teaching them about God and teacher's manuals and, and manuals on how to do the crafts and the exercise and support everything. And she faithfully, Ruthie faithfully teaches these kids several times a week. You know, this is her church. This is her group. And the group has grown. And they've responded to God's call to be saved. And they're saved. And they've received the Lord Jesus Christ. They're going on Ruthie's flocks. And they love Ruthie and Ruthie loves them. Well, Ruthie realized that her flock of kids had a need in their lives because she realized that the kids she was ministering to, they didn't have any devotion times. They didn't have any mercy seat times. They didn't have any quiet times with God, with them alone. So she told the kids that they had to do this. But the kids said to her, we don't know how to do that. How are we supposed to do that? When we come to the the class here, you teach us, that's fine. Well, what are we supposed to do? Just go off alone someplace? And she says, oh, no, you, you have to focus your mind. She goes, we don't know how to do that, I said to her. And so Ruthie thought about it, and she she came up with this idea. And she said, I will help my kids to have a daily time with God, their own mercy seat. So every morning, Ruthie types up her different scripture and a different devotional thought for the kids for that day. Every morning she does this, and then she goes over to her mimeograph machine, and she runs off all these copies of these things. And at noon, Ruthie jumps into her van, and she drives up and down those dirt streets, stopping at the houses or the meeting places that she's prearranged, and she's like, honk, honk, and she honks her horn. And the kids come out everywhere, and they come to her, and she gives one to this kid, another one to this kid, another to this kid. And she's like the milk lady. She's like the paper boy. You know, She's just distributing those things. Then as soon as they get the piece of paper, the kids just disappear. And they go off into old sheds, and they go against walls behind houses, and they go inside of abandoned cars, and they're sitting there with the devotional, the daily devotional. They're having their morning time with God. They're having their mercy seat, quiet time with God. And when each kid sits down with Ruthie's devotional thought, what you can't see in that city are wings of cherubims all over the city. Wings of cherubim over each one of those kids as they're having their time with God. Why? Because meeting with God alone, strengthening friendship with God, which those kids are doing, is a special interest to God. And so he sends his crack team, his cherubim team, to go to work every day in that city of all those dirt roads there in Brazil. And then parents come out, you know, parents coming out, and they start coming out because they see, you know, Ruthie comes, give them a piece of paper, kids disappear for a half hour, what's going on? So they ask Ruthie, what's happening? Our kids, we can't find them after you come. And then she explains to them, she explains that, she's led many of them to the Lord. She said, you should have a quiet time with God as well. She's transformed the whole city by doing that. Why? Special interest to God, meeting with God. Praise God. Let's be like those kids. Run to go get the thought. Let's go be like those kids. Go disappear someplace and be with God alone. Praise God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the fact that you have a special interest to not only save man, and therefore you put the cherubim to keep him from the tree of life when he wasn't ready. Lord, you also have a special interest to be friends with man and to strengthen the friendship with God. 
as they have the cherubim over the mercy seat. Help us, Lord, to remember this, to avail ourselves of it, and to translate this into revived morning quiet times with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. As a reminder, all of our messages are available for free listening and free download at friendshipwithgod.org and also on iTunes.com. Just search for the Friendship with God podcast. All messages there for free listening and free download. You can also support us by going online to friendshipwithgod.org so that we can continue to broadcast on this station in your city. Now, Tom Cantor also wants to offer you a great resource this month because Tom Cantor is a scientist as well as a pastor and Bible teacher, but even more than a scientist, he's the owner-operator of the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. And as our resource of the month, Tom Cantor's offering a DVD tour of the Creation Museum that covers the six days of creation and the seventh which God rested. So Tom Cantor's got the leading creation scientists that are speaking on there as well as great Bible teachers on the book of Genesis and the six days of creation. We'll also include with that this month's other resource, which is a great book on the Ice Age and the Flood that asks the question, does science really show millions of years, including in the Bible? It's a great book that'll show you that the Bible and science both explain the Ice Age and a young earth. Now, these resources will help you take a journey through time. And if you'd like a copy of the Six Days of Creation teaching from Tom Cantor and the Creation and Earth History Museum, as well as the Ice Age and Flood book, it's yours for a donation of $20 or more to the Friendship with God radio program, which helps us to stay on the air on this station in your city. So call us right now at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Again, 800-247-3051. And we'll send you these two great resources, the Six Days of Creation DVD tour from the Creation and Earth History Museum, as well as the Ice Age and Flood book, all yours for a $20 or more donation and supporting the Friendship with God radio program with Tom Cantor. Again, 800-247-3051 or go online to friendshipwithgod.org.